This week we move into a series uh, talking about manhood for us. For the next three weeks, we're going to talk about raising the standard of manhood. Now, some of you may think, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a man. And I get that. A lot of these things are transferable. And uh, as Stefan said last week, there's not one single lady I've ever met that didn't want her husband or boyfriend or future husband to be more godly in his daily living. So we're going to talk about three different aspects of manhood. We can't talk about them all. There's no way. So I'm going to be addressing some of those that I think we struggle with uh, in the West, specifically. I think that men struggle with in our culture in the United States of America. And uh, we're going to talk about those one per week. And this week, we're going to focus on the one that I think is probably one of the hardest to swallow. It's one that I think most of us will uh, think at first we do pretty good with because we're Christians. But on the end of that, I think we really do struggle a lot with this one thing. In fact, I would say this is a sneaky one because the moment we think we've attained it is the moment where we lose it. And so what I want to talk about this week is the attribute of manhood that Jesus demonstrated better than any other, and that's gospel humility. Gospel humility, also called submission, also called meekness. And we're going to talk about this from looking together in the gospel according to Mark chapter 10. So you have your Bibles, open them up. While you're getting there, let me go over a few things. It'll be just a minute on this intro. I want you to kind of let things sink over you. So get to Mark chapter 10. We'll start in verse 32 in a couple of minutes here. I think you would agree with me. Most men like to be in charge of something. We kind of like it. We may say we don't like it. But you can tell that we do like it because when you hang out with a bunch of guys supposed to be doing work, you'll find about 80% of them trying to decide how it should be done and only two of them actually starting to work on projects, right, out of 10. We like to be in charge. We love to have authority. Not many of us naturally like to serve others. We have to kind of make ourselves get in gear to do those things a lot of the time. And we actually yearn to be served most of the time as men. And this is because most of us have too high of a view of self. Y'all hear that? You're not going to like some of this stuff, guys. I'm going to talk to you directly, and I'm, listen to me, I'm talking to me more so than I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to you as well, because we have a high view of self most of the time. We think too highly of ourselves, and this thinking too highly of ourselves can also be called pride or hubris. Haughtiness, we talked about spiritual haughtiness a few weeks back. Let me just tell you what God says about pride. In Psalm 31, 23, the psalmist says, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. The Lord abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. That should be a little fearful, considering how God doles out judgment towards these type of things. Listen, you may not want to admit it, but when we're not the smartest one in the room, when we're not the wittiest one, the richest one, the wisest one, the most handsome, the most powerful one in the room, we immediately feel an internal drive to overcome whatever or whoever is threatening our egotistic sense of self-priority. It happens all the time. If we don't act on it, we all oftentimes feel it. And what we do with this inner drive to win or supersede actually determines what or who is truly most important to us. And I would even argue that what it really does is reveal how much power our ego has over us. 
Now, some of you sitting in the room would say, well, I, I'm not like that at all. In fact, I look down on myself a lot. I don't think I can do much of anything. I never want to be in charge. And that is the exact same problem as the other side of that coin. It's still pride. It's all about what I can do, how I don't measure up, how I fail instead of how great I am. And we see this because every time somebody rolls by that you think might be better than you, you sit up a little straighter, you stand up, you pull your shoulders back, you puff, we puff our chest out, or we won't look them in the eye if we think that they've defeated us in that realm already. We won't address them the way that we need to address them. We will kind of avoid them a lot of times. This is what guys do. If you haven't noticed this, just watch how we do when other men walk in the room. And oftentimes, especially if we don't know them or if we're intimidated by them, you'll see us act differently. And I'm sure wives have noticed that a few times. Isaiah 2.17 says, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. Listen, brothers, we will be humbled. Whether or not we do that on purpose, in a healthy way, we will be humbled at some point. And Isaiah says, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Or 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 6, Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? Why do you have... Why do you have what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Right? Everything's been given to us. Everything has been blessed to us by God. Every good thing we have. So why do we act like we can take pride in our jobs, in our 401k, in our paycheck, in our family? Why do you think we can take pride in how we look or how we're built or how we manage things? Those things are all giftings of the Lord what this text is saying as Paul reads it out in 1 Corinthians. C.S. Lewis says, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. Listen to what he says. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. We don't usually take pride in what we have. We take pride in that it's better than somebody else's. We put people down in order to feel better in our own minds if we don't do it outwardly. That is the way of our egos. Timothy Keller, he says, think about it. It's very hard to get through a whole day without feeling snubbed or ignored or feeling stupid or getting down on ourselves. This is because there's something wrong with my ego. There's something wrong with my identity. There's something wrong with my sense of self. It is never happy. It is always drawing attention to itself. The way the normal human ego tries to fill its emptiness and deal with its discomfort is by comparing itself to other people all the time. In fact, this is one of the notes I do want you to write down. There's a great little book. It's only 45 pages. It's, it's really easy to read. It's big print. Guys, any of us could read this. It may take you an hour. It may take you a day. It may take you a month, but you would really benefit by reading this book. We're going to throw it on the screen. This is Timothy Keller's book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He titles it, subtitles it, The Path to True Christian Joy. Every one of us need to read that book, men and women. You can get it. I'm going to order a whole bunch of them. Actually, you can get that book for about $250 online. It's not expensive. It is worth the investment. 
He compares a lot of the stuff we're talking about. He shows how the gospel brings healing, it brings wholeness, and it brings life in a more free way. Look, in the West, in the West, we're actually taught from birth to strive for such pride. We don't call it by that. In our culture, we call it self-esteem. You heard that? We call it self-esteem. Now, a lot of people can argue with that. In his book, he talks about an article that I read when I first read the book. I looked it up by a lady that wrote an article in a major publication, basically pointing out how our culture has relied on self-esteem as being the cornerstone of a lot of what we teach our kids and how we think we deal with criminality. And what we found is that it's not working and that self-esteem is not the answer and that most problems aren't a a product of low self-esteem. The people who are doing wrong things or bad things usually have pretty high self-esteem in a lot of ways. So it's not just a product of self-esteem. In fact, self-esteem is a biblically inaccurate idea. It's pervasive in our culture. It's at the core of how we educate our children, how we counsel people who are struggling in life, and even how we talk to ourselves when our egos become damaged. Remember Stuart Smalley? Am I the only one watched Saturday Night Live before Jesus? Maybe even after a little bit? He used to start off, and before he'd have a talk show start up, he would look over at his mirror off stage and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Right? That's how we talk to ourselves, whether it's purposeful or even subliminal. I can do this. That's how we're coached to do it. You can do this. Believe in yourself. Get in the game. But that's not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible do we find any commandments or encouragement to pursue self-esteem. The Bible directs us not to find any esteem in self, but to find all of our esteem in Jesus. That's a hard one to swallow. Does that mean you're supposed to hate on yourself? No. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But we are not to find our hope in how much we have esteem in ourselves or have our hope and esteem in the one who did everything for us to make us available and able to be in heaven with God forever, to be with him for the rest of eternity because he did everything that needed to be done. There is effort in our lives. We should strive hard in those things, but it's not dependent upon us. In fact, Christianity is the only religion that says the verdict we receive by being declared innocent because of the blood of Jesus means that our performance has already been accepted because Christ's performance was put on our behalf. Everything else says perform well and then you are credited as being good. Christianity says you are called good because when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus when you are his child. So let us not raise our kids to have self-esteem. Let us raise them to have Christ-esteem, or what some have termed gospel humility, and let us seek the same in ourselves. Guys, it will change everything about us. We're going to see this in the scriptures. Let me give you a couple more quick notes before we get into our main passage. When Timothy Keller in his book is discussing C.S. Lewis's chapter on pride in his book, Mere Christianity... He says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. You hear that? You wouldn't think they're humble. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. 
You understand? It's about the art of self-forgetfulness. So don't have self-esteem and don't have low esteem. Once you forget about yourself a little bit and think more of others, that's the picture. In fact, I would say it like this. Forget yourself and focus on being a slave of all like Jesus. You're not going to like that word, but it's biblical. We'll get there in a second, Mark. Here's a quick quiz to help us out. Are you ready? None of the guys are ready. Are you ready, guys? Here's a quick quiz to see how you fare in this inner struggle. How do you deal with criticism? Brothers, how do you deal with criticism? Does it devastate you? Does it make you angry? Does it make you doubt yourself continually? Does it bother you at all because you think too highly of yourself? Or do you listen to it seeking to see anything about yourself that needs to change? You see, the truth is, the more we get to understand the gospel, the more we want to change. So criticism can be very helpful in that way. And how you receive and deal with criticism can show you quickly where you are in your pridefulness or where you are in your humility. But never think we arrive, because as soon as you grab hold of it and think you've got it, the pride begins to rise again. It's a slippery one. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. Our text really is 35 through 45, but you need to understand the context. Mark 10, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, the 12 disciples, he began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. That's pretty heavy statements, right? Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now listen, what he's talking about there, just real quick, the cup with which he will drink is the same idea as when he goes before the Father, before the crucifixion, before he's arrested, and he says, Father, take this cup from me, if you will, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. All through the Old Testament, it talks about God mixing up a cup of wrath that he's going to pour out on these nations that are against him. We see it in the book of Revelation. We see it all throughout the scriptures. And here he's saying to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And he means in death, right? Baptism is a picture of Christ's death, his burial, and then his resurrection. He's saying, are you saying you can drink this cup I'm going to drink? You're going to be baptized with the suffering that I'm going to be baptized with? Man, listen to the pride. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. 
And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And they were. These guys went through a lot for their faith later on. He says, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. He's talking about for the Father setting aside those things. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Wouldn't you be? I would have been like, who are these guys thinking they are? That's my seat, (laughs) right? Let us not think they were holy because we would be processing that internally too. That guy's going to get the raise? He's going to get the honor? But what about what I've done, right? They were indignant. Verse 42, and here's the meat of our text. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who were considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Read that again, verse 42 and on. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who were considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That same word, Lord, is what they call him, Lord Jesus. And their great ones exercise authority over them. These are all negative terms here that are being used. The implication is that these guys are using and abusing their authority. Right? They lord it over them in a negative way. They exercise tyrannical authority. He says this as command, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, listen to these words, must be slave, not of you, but of all. Must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom. For many, ransoming, purchasing them, taking one who is enslaved to something else and buying them out of enslavement. Brothers, I'm telling you today that raising the standard of manhood to what it should be according to the scriptures, according to the gospel, means that we must begin forgetting ourselves and begin focusing on being a slave of all like Jesus who served every one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter how we've acted, no matter how many times we have tread his name in the mud, no matter how many times we have failed, no matter how many times we did anything that went against what he stands for, believes in, and is, he died for all, becoming a servant for all, a slave to all, even to the point of death. Isaiah 53, 11 through 12 shows us this kind of humility in him. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, talking about God the Father, shall the righteous one, talking about Jesus to come, my servant, he's called a servant there, my, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That means that he shall serve the people that God is going to save by putting their sins upon his shoulders. 
Therefore, he says, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus goes on even now serving us, even now being a servant to us on behalf of our souls, our bodies, our lives with the Father continually humbling himself, not lording his authority over us in a negative or bad way, but serving us, served us in a perfect life, lived completely the way that we could not live it, served us in a death on the cross in our place, served us by rising in victory to win us over from death to life, and now serves us at the right hand of the Father by making intercession, saying, Father, don't, don't, don't hold that against him. I died for that on the cross. Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, that's supposed to be all of us in this room, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Deny himself, take up his cross daily. That means crucify yourself daily, brothers and sisters that you will willfully get on the cross every morning and live on that cross all day long, denying self. In, in, in the same way that Jesus denied self his whole life and death, and even now serves us instead of what a king would do in this place other than him. I'm going to give us some things, guys. And it's going to be some hard ones to deal with, some you need to repent in and of. Let me tell you, you're not alone. Here's the first one. Real men don't abuse authority or even use authority to stroke their egos. Real men don't abuse authority or even use authority to stroke their egos. Look at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, talking about the Romans, right? He says, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Listen, authority isn't given to you so that you can feel better about yourself. Authority is given to you so that you'll give yourself in serving others. That's why when I talk about leadership in this church, even I talk about it from an upside down pyramid. As the lead pastor, I'm not at the top, I'm at the very bottom. I am the, the chief servant, I'm the chief slave of this faith family. I lead by serving or I'm not leading as Jesus. And all of us have the same responsibility. Authority is given to you so that you'll give yourself in serving others. God doesn't give you authority so that you'll burden others with it, but so that you'll bear their burdens for them, like Jesus. You know the saying, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teachings, take my life upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we are using authority in any way other than that, we are misusing the authority God has given us. You and I have not been set free from our condemnation in order to put others in their place. That is not what we are given authority to do. You've been set free so that you might lead others to freedom. That's what we've been given 
as messengers of reconciliation, not messengers of talk downness. We need to forget ourselves and focus on being a slave of all, like Jesus. Here's some ways we do that, men. Men, let me make a statement that we all know, but maybe we're not living in like we should. The ways of the world are not the ways Christian men do their job. I'm going to say it again. The ways of the world are not the way Christian men do their job. The ways of the world are not the way that Jesus' followers live out their careers. The people you work with don't need another man leading them to believe he's the biggest, baddest, strongest man in the room. The people you work with need to meet a man who admits he's a sinner saved by grace. They need to know a man who knows Jesus and has been changed by Jesus. First Corinthians 4, 1, Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Lord, I pray for us that no one would have to face hell because we were prideful. But that everyone we come in contact with every day would see us as men and women who are humbled by the grace and mercy given to us in Jesus, and especially in his death for us on the cross. They don't need you or me to show them how great we are. They need us to show them how great Jesus is. And that will never happen when we spend our time measuring our manhood by comparing ourselves to other men in the room. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's the kind of man we have to be, brothers. They will only see how great Jesus is when we demonstrate gospel humility in the office. Gospel humility around the water cooler. Gospel humility in the truck. Because we've been saved from our overinflated, egoic, false self by the greater than you, God-man Jesus. That's how they'll know. Not because we're super Christians, but because we are able to confess that we are not super. But we serve a hero that is. His name is Jesus. We don't find our identity or our value and our performance, but in our Savior, Jesus. So let not our days rise and fall upon how we do. Let it rise and fall upon the perfect work of the perfect Son of God whose name is Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our brother, our King. And listen, our egos tell us that we are on trial constantly, that we're always comparing ourselves. And when we're standing up to the, to the, the standard we've set or someone else has set, 
but you are not on trial. I am not on trial. We do not stand on trial every day to see if we meet those standards. Our value and our esteem are not based on how we perform or how we fare during the trial. We don't have to stand trial because Jesus went on trial for us. And in our place, he stood condemned so that we could be declared right with God, perfect before him. It was an unjust trial in the kangaroo court, but he didn't complain. Like a lamb before the shearers, he was silent. He faced the trial that should have been ours so that we don't have to face any trials anymore. He has secured our identity in his own personhood. When God adopted us into the family, he didn't adopt us in and saying, well, maybe you'll make it one day. Listen, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can rest assured that it, when we get to be with him for forever, we will hear words just as Jesus heard in Matthew 3. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You have been adopted by God through the blood of Jesus. And so now you are sons and daughters. And when he looks at you, he says, this is my son or daughter with whom I am well pleased because of the work of Jesus. You were good. We are right. And I love you right where you are. I stand with you every day, even when you fail, because Jesus did not fail. So let us forget ourselves. Let us forget ourselves and focus on being a slave to our co-workers, brothers, sisters, like Jesus was for us. Another one, men, the ways of the world are not the ways of the church. They are not the ways of the church. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's good if you contribute your finances. It is good if you contribute your talents. It is good if you contribute your time. Those are really good things. But if we're to be like Jesus, we contribute our whole lives. We go all in because Jesus went all in for us. And a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 1 Peter 5 talking specifically to church leaders. So I exhort the elders among you, I encourage the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The church is not here to feed our egos or pad our resumes. And we don't need men 
who have great confidence in themselves, we need men who find great confidence in Jesus. So you may think, well, I, I could never do that. That's okay, God can do it in you. You may think, man, I'm good enough, I can, I can do this, I've, I've done this, that, this, that, I've served here, served in that, served in this. No, no, no. Better not find your confidence in self because you will ruin yourself. Find your confidence in Jesus who can never ruin you. We don't need men who rely on their education, who rely solely on their business acumen to make decisions. This is not a business. You have to do business here, but we need men who rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and direct them in their decision making. So just because you know good things and have great practices doesn't mean that you should be living those things out in the same way in the church in every situation unless God tells you to, because every moment of our lives needs to be dictated by relying on the Holy Spirit. That happens by searching the scriptures and spending much time on our knees in prayer. This church, and by the way, your families need more of your time in prayer than they need anything else on their behalf. How will we ever know what God wants from us if we are not talking to, and we'll get into this another time, listening to God? How will we ever lead our families as Jesus did if we don't act like Jesus, who went away to speak with the Father, separated himself, got alone, to pray for God's people, to commune with his Father? James 4, 13 and 17, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Remember evil? It drives you away from the Lord. It doesn't bring you into a relationship with God. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, all these things we're talking about are relational, brothers. Everything that we do in our pride or in humility is relational. It either draws us into relationship with God or it pushes us away. So if we recognize that everything is about relationship, everything in the Bible, everything in life is really ultimately about relationships, because you know that when you face death, you recognize that all the other stuff doesn't matter, but the relationships in your life. Brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, spouses, kids, grandkids, all those are the things that matter. And your relationship with God should take the priority. And so this is the thing. If we rely on self and our education, our business acumen, any, any of these things, we rely on that to make decisions for the church or in our own lives. What we do is we don't lean into God and see a tighter relationship built. We're actually leaning on self, which means we are not close to God, but distant from God. And that is not good or right or holy. It is sin. We need to lean into the Lord. Lean into Him and let Him draw us and shape us and change us. I'm going to go faster. Here we go. Are you ready? Men, the ways of the world are also not the ways of a Christian family. I can go to Philippians 2, 3 through 11. I'll just hit the, the highlights. Have this mind in verse 5, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Our wives, brothers, our wives do not need husbands who lead from a position of strength. Our wives need husbands who lead from a position of submission to the King, Jesus. They need to see us brought low before the throne. How can we lead them in gentleness, love, grace, and mercy if we are not bowed down before the one who has demonstrated the greatness of those things for us in Jesus? James 4, 6 through 10, but he gives much more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Our children, dads, they don't need fathers who lead from a position of power. Our children need fathers who lead them as if they are crucified with Jesus. You will never create the man you hope to create by acting as if you have it all together and that you have all the answers and that your way or the highway is the only way because the only way is Jesus who said, I am the way. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking them in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who he sent, him who sent me. Husbands, dads, let us forget ourselves. It is not about our dreams, our hopes. It's about the plan God has for our children and our wives and our families. Let us focus on being slaves to our families like Jesus. Let us find our value in him, not in how well your kids excel in school or how well they play football or baseball, not in how well your wife keeps the house or brings in a check. Let us love our wives and our kids the way Jesus loves us and them too. Selflessly, he loves them with everything that is within him, even to the point of death on the cross. And he calls us to daily pick up our cross and deny self for the sake of the gospel going forth in our homes. Let us forget ourselves and focus everything in us on being a slave of all, like Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I need you now. We are unable to do the things that we see in Scripture. 
to humble ourselves, Lord, the way that we should be, to stay in a posture of gospel humility, not in thinking less of myself and not in thinking much of myself, but just in thinking about myself less, thinking more on you and what you've done for us, thinking more on the people before us that you have placed in our lives. Lord, you have called us to great things, but not for our greatness, but to demonstrate your greatness that has already been on display in Jesus on the cross and who even now can be on display in us as men and even women with us that we can all be the displaying people of Jesus as we confess our inabilities, our failures, our struggles, as we make much of the Savior who makes everything in us right with God. May He alone get the glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.